to Three Wise DMs, the podcast where three dungeon masters have been doing this for way too long. Talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. I'm Thorin, and I'm joined by... Tony. Give me a second, I need to get my story straight. My friends are in the bathroom getting higher than the Empire State. My lover, she's awaiting for me just across the bar. My seat's been taken by some sunglasses asking about a scar. And I was going to do the whole fucking verse and make you guys listen to it, but I decided not to. So that's what You noticed he gave it to her years ago, right? I mean. Yeah. (laughs) Months ago, months ago. Yeah. Months ago. So that was a fun song. Literally. That's actually a great, I I was so into when they started hitting on the radio hard. So I like got the record and then like no offense to them or their fans, but like it was one of them ones where I was like, oh, the songs you put on the radio were the good ones. Yeah, it's like that sometimes. It was a little like, there was one other tune that was super cool, but the other ones I was just like, eh, you know. Anyway. I get you, I get you. Yeah, yeah, you get that sometimes. I've actually had good luck with that. I didn't go all in on fun. Airborne, Toxic Event, and The Killers, to me, are kind of in a similar kind of box there. And oh, their stuff's the pretty good and pretty deep. Love The Killers. I have to listen to their new record. My buddy Johnny just told me I need yeah. to listen to their new, newest record. So. Uh, I've heard a, I haven't gotten the new record, but I've heard some of the singles. It's great. Airborne, Toxic Event, some of their deep cuts will make you think. Like, yeah. There's, there's some cool stuff in there. But that is, we are getting far afield. Well, Let's well, grab on to the fun. That's the- on our different. That's on our other podcast starting soon. Uh, three wise music listener guys. <laughs> Something. <laughs> Whoa, we're, way we're, off we're, the tongue. We're workshopping the title. The we're drummer working. and two dudes. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> that actually tested very well in some. Oh, ways. dude. Oh, that's happening. Sorry, go. that's gonna happen. <laughs> Drummer and two dudes. <laughs> but, you know, here, this is a great example of what we're here to talk about today. We can't keep our story straight. <laughs> here we go, wandering into asides about music and other podcasts, when we're here to talk about how do you keep your story straight as a DM. Session to session, week to week, for us usually month to month, how do you keep it straight where your story is going, what you want to do, especially if you're improving some of it. Now, this question once again comes to us from friend of the show, Jared. Jared, thanks again for another great question, and here it is. How do you keep all your narrative details straight, especially anything you improv? Obviously, good prep would help, but it can't account for player agency. What do you do to help remember the details the players take interest in? Do you record your sessions with a voice recorder, or do you, uh, or do you, do you three, do us three, multitask well enough to take notes, or do all three of you just have a good memory? I'll be honest, I sometimes have trouble remembering what I said 30 seconds ago, especially if I thought it would never come up again. Have your players ever brought up a detail you had forgotten? <clears throat> Once, twice, a hundred times. <laughs> how do you deal with it, and how do you minimize instances like that? Now, this is interesting, because I think we all go about this differently, and I've got some tricks for it. I know you guys have some tricks for it. It's a great question, because, you know, how often do you get caught in that spot where you're like, okay, I remember the big thing going on, but the player brings up something like, oh, yeah, that that guy, that that guy was kind of incidental. Um, OK, let me just spit some stuff on the spot. Here's what he's been up to. How do you guys handle it? How do you keep your details straight? Well, DMing, I've said this before, is a lot like managing and you're managing different compartments within your game. How many encounters you're doing, uh, how long your uh, dialogues go on, what kind of treasure you're giving out, all of these aspects. And I keep talking about lore tolerance. But really, 
tolerance applies to everything. Mm. And if you apply too many details in the wrong setting with the wrong group, they're not going to go for it. It's just going to be background noise. And as we've mentioned before, you teach your players what's important in your game. So are the details super important? Did I miss something? Or am I going to get to the same at the end of this adventure, same as everybody else? And sure, I missed some stuff, but it really isn't that important. So how do you keep those details that are important, or just the story details, how do you keep them straight session to session? Well, we've also talked about that some of these things that they really are important need to be repeated. You cannot put down something that is important once and then be shocked when (laughs) everyone's like, what? That's her father? Like, you know, you're going to be asked out. And that's just the reality of the matter. Sometimes with different groups, they will pick it and hold on to it. But something Dave does very well as a DM, he does that recap every game. Like, you know, all that shit you guys forgot. Let me help you out. You didn't remember it, but I did. This is what happened last game. We're starting on this foundation go. So, Tony, you usually do these games that are very detail-loaded, very story-focused, very much on the train. I'm just curious, how do you keep that straight and moving forward? Like, do you have, like, a, do you have like a source doc you put together? Or like oh, a, uh, Google Docs is the king. Do you write it, like, all out? Like, do you, oh, do you like kind of... I think Dave got a glimpse of my... What I, <laughs> I, did not look, I did not look at it. I at saw the, the title and immediately Christmas. deleted it. Yeah, the Kraken that stole Christmas. Yeah. That may still come up. Yeah. Did you share the wrong game? Did you share the wrong thing to him at first? Yes, I did. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I didn't look at it though. I promise, I did not look at it. Do you write it out narratively and then just kind of follow the narrative? It depends. There are sometimes, with the one Marvel game I did, I, I first led off with uh, the Cosmic Team. Yeah, I really did it narratively, where mm. I had scenes and I had whose line was what, but that's there's a that requires a lot of bandwidth. You yeah. really like when I did that game for you guys the other night, um, I really I didn't I had my I Google Docs on my phone. I didn't look at it because I had like I knew what was happening scene to scene comfortably enough Then maybe I had to go look at some details for character stats, monster stats. But I wasn't digging around for the plot. And let me tell you, if you can't keep your story straight, your players sure can't. It's a great point. If, if it's too hard to keep your story straight, maybe the problem is your story is too complicated. There you go. Something to keep in mind. So what about you, Dave? How do you keep your details straight? Uh, well, I'm going to go back to what I say with most of these types of questions is my, as much as Jared said, he doesn't want to hear that, uh, it is my session prep. Mm-hmm. And I will go back to one of our deep cuts of our articles uh, where I put together uh, how I put together my session prep notes, how they had evolved. And then I gave us uh, an example from the Slavers Bay, um, Slavers Bay campaign that we were running. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of session prep. So I have, as Tony just said, Google Docs is your best friend. Uh, if, if people are not using it, I think that that's the one of the best ones because of its, and not because I love Google necessarily or anything like that. There's probably other software that does this, but it's real time saving and it's from all your devices. So when I'm at work, I get some kind of idea. Like I, I talk about how I use uh, the secrets and clues from the lazy dungeon master. Um, if I get something like, oh, that's something, I can pop it right in and it's there when I get home and I'm doing more more uh, lengthy session prep. What's happening during the game though, is I print that session note out. I print, it's usually about three pages, maybe four on the outside. And I just, I have my pencil with me. And if something happens, I will write it down. 
I will write down whatever. If I make up a name that I had to do on the fly, we all have that, right? Because you have your NPC name generator if you if you use it, which you should. I um, struggle. But some yeah, sometimes you got to be the hardest up, part of DMing. <laughs> yeah, well, so, sometimes you got to come up with something on the fly. So I put it down because that's the person that they're gonna go back and fucking talk to right <laughs> like you see the thing people post on facebook right and some guy posted about he says you know he's explaining this tavern and there's this wizard in the corner with this triple crown of flames and he's in this black cloak looking like he wants to talk to you and everyone's like who else is in the bar and he's like the the barkeep what's his name uh sam smorkel i want to talk to him and they post that, right? And then Matt Mercer comes back. He goes, I feel this so hard because that's the person they're going to go back. So I'll write it down. An example real quick is in the Rhyme of the Frostman campaign that I'm running. I had Renderall's Emporium in Bryn Shander as a place they could go. They decided to go there. He was a very eccentric, flamboyant uh, man. One of your NPCs? Um, no. Yeah. Never. This, no, this guy. He shops in there in Storm King. Exactly. Yeah, this guy is super. Like, he's he's one of my favorites. Uh, yeah, he's definitely uh, he's definitely up there. But it's super. Going there, right? <laughs> yeah, so Bonnie's character wanted some healing potions that he had. He was charging top rate. She decided to say, I want to give favors for that. So I noted down that they owed this guy favors. And I wrote it down on the sheet as I was running, as we were kind of role-playing. Because I can then go back in later games and know I need to call that favor in. And that was actually a way that I got them to continue into another uh, piece of the adventure. I used one of the favors, you know. Don't, don't give me a chance for side quests. Ugh. Well, favors are a great trick. I've seen Tony use them before often, and other DMs. Other DMs I've played with have used them a lot, too. And they're a great trick to keep the campaign moving. Or, like, having, like, a the party owe someone a favor is perfect for when you, the party's going in the wrong direction. Yeah. Or you don't know what they want to do, or they don't know what they want to do. And you can just call, you just have the favor pop up, and you can lead them on to something new or on to the next step. There, it's a really good trick more DMs should probably use. And to tell you the truth, this guy, the Renderal, which I actually took, he's actually one of the people in Branch in there from the, from the Forgotten Realms. Um, he's almost, going back to our last episode, he's almost becoming like a patron to the party in a way. Because he's actually starting, they're going back to this guy and starting to talk to him and build some sort of relationship. So, yeah, it's a way in which I, that something like this, where this this story just went off the rails and they did something I wasn't expecting, turned into something really great. And all I did was I just needed to make a little bit of a note on it right at the yeah. right during the session. Or a lot of times what I'll do at the end of the session, I'll say, you know, I'll write down where you were. Did you level up? What time was it? That kind of stuff. And that helps me with my session prep next time. So, yeah, I was wondering about that. Do you go back and kind of rewrite the file after the session with kind of things that have changed or things that maybe you want to change based on what happened that night? I don't rewrite the actual Google Docs. So all my actual Google Docs are the originals, but I have a notebook because I print them all out because I like hard copies. I don't like to run off. Of, I tried running off the tablet the one time. It wasn't hmm. for me. I, I like paper. You know, I mean, we've talked about that before. Same way I like to roll dice, you know. Um, I love the virtual dice roll. It's very, it's it's helpful. It's, it's convenient. But, you know, clickety-clack math rocks, right? Um, but no, I won't update the actual file. But it's all written in there in my actual 
uh, three ring binder that I had for like, let's say the Curse of Strahd campaign, right? Yeah. I have session notes, you know, one to 23 at this point, and they're all in there. And then I can go back, which I was actually doing this past time for our next session, going back to see what was happening in some of these other areas to, to build out some of that. So what about you, Tony? When you have, when the players do something in that session that, do you ever like go back and rewrite the narrative based on what happened on that, in that session? No. Yes, <laughs> I, I absolutely do. I've said this before without uh, any shame. There's times people have suggested things which were cooler than my own ideas. And I said, I really should have thought about that. And if it doesn't go too far, then I go back and then write to Google Docs. Boom. Um, but in all seriousness, I like Google because my handwriting is a travesty. Uh, anyone who has ever actually seen it will uh, totally attest to this. And nothing's worse than you have your notes. And you're like, what the F did I freaking write? I have absolutely no idea. But yeah, you could be anywhere and you can do a uh, voice to text. You could just put some stuff in there. And if you're kind of like touching your, your developing your game a little bit, you know, every day or so, then it really flows very easily when you hit the game day. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll third Google Docs is a great tool for this kind of thing. I use it. I use Google Docs a lot professionally. Actually, I write, I edit. A lot of that stuff moves through Google Docs. It's a fantastic tool. It saves like every second, basically. So yeah, it's great. Google, um, call us. <laughs> that, there you go. That, that's the big endorsement, right? The <laughs> ultimate tool for 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 DMs. Actually, there are other tools out there that would claim to be that. There is like World Anvil and stuff like that. It's a shame we're not using the specialist tool. But I got to tell you, Google Docs is a Great functionality and great commenting and machines tracking functionality. All right, here's I'm, I will qualify what you just said uh, because something World Anvil we've talked about it before yeah. and I know you've looked at it I've looked at it. It's cool in the sense that I could create this source doc that I could hyperlink to yeah. with NPCs and stuff. I can't do that with my Google Docs. So. That's cool, but I feel like that's that's a little more involved. Is all. You know what it's for? That's more of a world wiki for you. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's, that's something that you can share, select parts of, and let your players go through, which none of us do. But you could do that, you know, and that's something I do know some DMs that do. But I've, I've taken – I've gone all this time. We're like 15 minutes in. I haven't talked about what I do. <laughs> <laughs> and what I do is a little different because I don't do a Google Doc for the campaign, even though I just, I just, I just sang its praises. I, you know, I let things flow very, very improv style, but I also generally know what you're going to do coming in. So I think, you know, Jared's question really hits at some some challenges for me that I do have some ways of handling. How do I keep that straight when I didn't know what was going to happen when I showed up that day? And there's a lot of little tricks I use to do that. So I don't have a campaign narrative written down. I will oftentimes write like a little story to start the campaign of like, what is this town they're in and what are they doing? Mm. After that, I, I take I do keep notes every session. My notes are probably not as good as they could be. And I think many, many DMs who improv are probably going to find that. You know, you take notes during the session, but the number of times you're in the moment and you name somebody and you forget to write it down just because you're role playing and you're going and you're that dude right now and you're talking to the players and you're thinking on your feet and you never write his name down. That happens all the time. One of the tricks I've developed that I didn't do after this last session, but I, I, I try to do it after every session, is I actually write a little synopsis for the players. Mm. We're playing in Roll20 right now. So at the end of the session, I came in knowing more or less what I was going to do. I was able to do that in part because 
I'm keeping the, I tend to DM, my story tends to be a lot of broad strokes because I don't want to distract the players too much. I'm not doing a ton of tiny detail around the edges. I'm not doing a ton of planned side quest. If they get into stuff, I'm going to improv it. So the core that I have to remember is manageable. And it's something that I kind of, it's something that I remember almost as this is what the game is. You know, it's just, I, I'm thinking about it all the time when I'm thinking about the game and immediately comes back to me, those important things. And I'm very good at remembering what happens, what just happened and what happens next. Where I'm not great at is the details. So one of the ways I've, one of the tricks I've been using to deal with those details is writing like a two to three paragraph synopsis of what happened last session and what are the players doing next. I do that usually immediately after the session in roll 20, right in the chat, when the players come in, they can read them. When they come in for the next session, they can read that right away and they have a complete refresh on what they were doing, at least the parts that were important to me. I will sometimes kind of, I won't read that, but I'll also refresh when we get back to the session for anyone who didn't read it. But that does help me because what it's really good for is I'll generally remember the names still at the end of the session. So I put the names in, I put the, you know, where are you going in? I put the big things that happened in there. I put the what happens next and I put the, what did it mean to the players and where we are now? Because that's really where I want the players to be. And that's kind of the level of detail I want to focus on. So Thor, when you're saying that, because that's, I think you're probably the the most different between Tony and I, because we do a lot more like, you know, it's on paper somewhere. Like yeah. all of our stuff is somewhere written on, on blank ink on, on white paper. Um, but what I've noticed in your games, and I, I wonder if this is partly from the player side and who you're playing with, but with your synopsis that you do, which you do, right? And you'll say, this is kind of what happened. This is who you were talking to. This is where we left off, blah. And Tony, you said you like that the synopsis happens in my games in the same way, because I found that that not only covers what happened in the last game, but also kind of points them towards this is where you're also going to be going without really saying this is where you're going to be going. Do you find that so that you don't have to worry about Sam Smorkel, the barkeep, as much? Absolutely. And the other thing, you know, we've talked about ways to do synopsis before, and we've talked about the other way to do it, where sometimes you come in and you, you some some DMs, and I've played with this myself, I know Tony does it, sometimes you'll come in and ask the players, what do you remember? Mm. And we've talked about this in previous session, in previous uh, episodes. That's great to get the players to remember things, to be active, but the problem is now you're getting a synopsis of what they remember most. If you're writing the synopsis, you get to emphasize what you wanted them to remember most, which actually has a really strong subconscious effect on what they remember and what they want to do on the next session. Mm. Aside from our one player who comes into every session not remember what we were doing and wondering why we're not going after the big bad right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's really uncomfortable is when you have someone do the synopsis and they're wrong. And, yeah. Yeah, and you're like, yeah, no. Yeah. And they're like, but it's in my book. You mean one of the players, Tone? Yes. Well, see, that's an interesting point because that actually, I first heard of that idea of, you know, kind of what they call taking the temperature of the campaign. It was a Matt Colville thing Mm -hmm. uh, that he does. Um, And I like the idea. I actually started it when we were doing Slaver's Bay because it does give you a sense of how they are seeing the campaign, right? Now, that can be good, but it could also, as Tony, you're saying, it could also be... um, problematic uh, I, I would say like literally uncomfortable in a live gaming moment where someone throws out and they say all right i need an example a real world example oh we did this a lot in that in okay the, so in the i second I, edition campaign i feel like we did that a lot Bill okay when i, I played second edition story time with dm tony Here we no go. Th- there was a situation where one of the players did the recap 
and they talked about how they had this item and it was on their sheet. And I'm like, you guys sold that. And the rest of these guys have the gold. Mm. That was some quality stuff. Like, no, I didn't want to sell that. Well, you were here and they did. I mean, how much am I, am I pulling out the time stone and we're going back? Like, how do you want to handle this? I mean, okay. Well, that's interesting because that's, that's on a a place that I didn't really think about in that way in terms of like, um, less about story necessarily and more about like what's happening, like on the character sheet almost, you know? Well, let's, let's not kid ourselves. The gear they get and lose is a big part of the story to the characters. That's true. No, no doubt. No doubt. No doubt. I mean, so that is because what they got or didn't get to the to the player, especially in this case, I don't know this specific case, but I can hear it in what Tony's saying. That player thought they had a new cool thing they wanted to use, and now it's gold. You know, mm. so they're like, oh, my character, because especially in second edition, those cool things expand your character abilities as much as leveling up does. Sure. So, sure. It, you know, this this gets back to one of the things we should probably hit on here, and it's why I prefer the DM synopsis to the player synopsis, although acknowledging getting the player synopsis is a good way to take temperature and see what they're noticing. Totally is. The trade-off is this. This is actually living history. What happened in your campaign is totally malleable. Everyone's memory is remembering it a little bit differently. We've talked about how the player and the DM experience are different from different sides of the table. Mm. In truth, Every player is experiencing your game totally differently as we experience reality. We're all interpreting it in our own ways. So if you let the players do the synopsis, you get what they interpreted it as, but you lose your opportunity to influence that interpretation one last time before the new session. Mm. And it's a trade-off. You get good things both ways. I have found, especially gaming monthly, and that I mostly game monthly, so I mostly DM monthly, so that is really influential here. Because remembering things day to day or week to week is much easier than month to month. So month to month, I want to put my stamp on that by writing that synopsis at the end of the last game. It's there for anyone to look at throughout the month. It's there for them to see when they. It's like the last thing in the in the queue for them to see when they come in. And they get my interpretation of where we are, where I want them to be. It is literally a little way to influence their subconscious memory of what happened. So that's like, it's it's, it's a specific thing I'd rather do because I think that benefit is worthwhile when you are having potential problems with players remembering what we were going to do next. So, so I, think yeah. that's a, I think that's a great point in it, that you said there too, because we, we usually qualify things like that. Tony has qualified it many times this way is... How often are you playing? And that changes a lot of these questions. Because if we're doing weekly on the same game, I yeah, I'm going to probably remember every single thing that happened, and so will you. That's going to be a lot different than it's been a month. And with, like, our team, we're running four or five games. And a lot of the players I, are in a lot I of I mean, who am I? the professor? Am I a fucking cleric? <laughs> what the fuck's happening? I don't know. Where am I? Right? got to focus the Cthulhu game back out of mothballs. I really want to get back to it. That's oh, kind of- yeah. It's been, a, it's been a hot minute. It's been a hot yeah. minute. Yeah. yeah, yeah for- so that's, that'll, 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 that's very different, too, because we've noticed that when we're playing monthly and we're playing in multiple groups is that even the best players, things start to wait. Who am I again right now? I, you know, what do I have? Because, oh, we had a bag of holding. No, 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 that's in the other game. We haven't found one yet, or we, you know, that type of stuff. And the other thing I throw in there is you are the storyteller. That is part of the DM's role, right? You're guiding the story. And I think back to even playing in college, where sometimes in college we play weekly, but we might play more than weekly. We might play like two days in a row. 
We only play, you know, like 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 me and my roommate had a game where I'm like, hey, you want to want to play some Ten Towns of Conalore, which was the, name, the the setting we were in, and like yeah, you know, and and we're just playing again, and and you still I think want to guide the narrative, because I think that's part of the DM role. So you want to get the player feedback, but when it comes to synopsis and stuff like that, I would I would take it as the DM. And use it as your last chance to to really guide where this is going and what the players remember. To seal the seal the deal, as it were. Yeah. To yeah. seal the memory. Honestly. Yeah. That's that's no, what we're yeah. trying to do. You're trying to seal the memory the way that you want it to be remembered. Yeah, it was a red shirt, not a blue shirt. Yeah. So that's gonna come up in the test. Yeah. One of the things that uh, Jared put in the question there uh, was about the importance of uh, and how do we uh, keep the players interested in there. I'm playing um, Marvel Revolution on my phone where you get to pick an Avenger and uh, you build a squad, you go out there and you're, you're, uh, there's all these different universes. So you could run into, you could be Iron Man, but you may run into a different version of Iron Man. And it's an RPG, essentially. It's um, like a little bit of a, a, a light MMO. The point is when I'm talking to like Black Widow, I'm like, okay, what does she have to say? All right. I'm talking to Storm. Okay. Now I'm talking to Nick. Wait, what? Now go talk to, to Mike. And they start throwing out these no-name NPCs that are part of the story to expand it. And especially when I found the subquests of this game. It's a fun game, but the subquests are absolutely not essential to the plot whatsoever. Someone goes, hey, I need you to go do a side mission. I'm like, fast forward, fast forward, fast forward, skip, skip. Okay. And then it tells me where to go. I'm either going to get something or beat some people up. I do that. I come back. I get my XP back to the main plot that matters. But you literally, it you, it could have been anybody or anything and just do this thing, yeah. Well, in those games also, they have almost infinite quests. So it's like very quickly you get to the point where it doesn't matter, which is exactly what you want to avoid in a D&D game. But, but just playing devil's advocate here because we've all experienced it, that's great in your MMORPG on your phone or your PC or whatever console. That's not what happens at the table, right? I mean, though that that Sam Smorkel thing is funny when you read it because we've all been in that situation where literally the no name side quest that doesn't fucking matter to anything becomes the whole fucking story. The you know uh, breeding tarasks. I mean, it's not exactly like the same thing because it wasn't a side quest. That was a different problem with the game, right? But, that, that, that was that was the villain. That was villain escalation. Yeah, so that, okay. that, that, somebody stuff. got a hold of the reality stone. Too much happened quickly, right? But the point being is that like something turns into like you can try to keep them on the rails as much, but like they're going to play the game that they want to play, right? So if they're going to go want to find out about Sam Smorkel, well now Sam Smorkel is going to matter. You know, he's not going to be Nick with the go beat these guys up for me guy necessarily, right? True. I would say like when the players are interested in something, I try to deal with it right then. Like, I tried to give them the chance to kind of interact with it then. And then if that interaction takes long enough, I won't have a problem remembering it, even if I forgot Sam Snorkel's specific name. Does Sam that make Smorkel. sense? What's his name? His name yes. is Sam Snorkel. Sam I'll Snorkel. tell you a name that you're never going to forget. You want to know the name? Tony's going to hate me for this. Baby Walter. <laughs> That's a name you will never forget in your nightmares. Because I mean, Baby Walter, for for the listeners, for Jared too. That was something that completely came up because I just threw it out as a nothing uh, burger at the end of the death house, which I had turned into Durst Manor with the Lunch Break Heroes idea and baby Walter. And the way in which the players saw what I was describing, 
I was just trying to, do, in essence, what was happening, I was describing his soul kind of escaping Barovia and going to the paradise and all this. And they were like, oh, God, what happened to Baby Walter's soul? We need to save him, which, as we know from the podcast, has become this now 23-session-long kind of running joke about Baby Walter. Now, I've gotten a lot of mileage out of it, uh, but it was an easy thing to remember because the players told me, I care about this, literally. Like, they could have stopped the game and said, by the way, I care about this, so make a note. You know, I mean, it was, like, written in bold letters across Roll20. <laughs> yeah, they, they care about that. I, I, will, I will give you that. It's you not, gonna, Tony, gonna, it's not done. It's not are, done yet, either. Are you ever going to pay off on Baby Walter? Um, Dude, look. Look, I'm not saying anything in terms of like, because I don't know quite yet where exactly I'm taking it, but like, it's not fucking done. And I am racking my brain as to how to create a payoff for this thing. I feel like the writers of Lost right now. We need to go into a ghostly nursery and go save his well, baby Walter's soul. Means- yeah, if you're gonna do baby, so so just to throw an idea out there, oh, if, if you're gonna do Baby Walter as a possible later late campaign adventure after we topple Strahd, some malevolent entity, perhaps perhaps a devil, has gotten a hold of that soul, Friends. and we have to go rescue it. And you can take us to the Nine Hells or some my, weird realm. My plan, my plan overall, because it's a Gothic horror campaign, and I'm always gonna come back to that note. My plan is to make it a dream dashing tragedy like that makes you feel empty inside uh mainly because it's bonnie's mom who's so concerned about it and i just want to see her reaction to that (laughs) no we'll see we'll see uh we'll see where it goes but yeah but you know that's right so i mean and that's a good point and then and it is something i was trying to get to a little bit with control with controlling your um uh controlling your synopsis because what we're seeing here is that's a big thing to the players you can't forget that like you're not going to you're going to remember baby walter because they made such a big deal out of baby walter by controlling the synopsis a little bit what you do is you can also get them to pay less attention to the little details that you didn't want to matter yeah and move on and if they grab something really strongly well then you throw it in the synopsis you you, you put it in as something you are going to hit again but if you don't want them to just bury it, bury Honestly, it. that's that's free material dave Honestly, oh no I- all day dude all day i've got uh, over a year of campaign stuff out of that so far no doubt no doubt so honestly i will say as somebody in that campaign i'm a completionist if there's a side quest to save baby walter hawk morgan's in (laughs) he's gonna do it (laughs) all right brother listen up (laughs) tony is here to get all the player rewards in barovia no he's gonna skyrim he's gonna skyrim it You got to take it until the Ebony Warrior shows up and kicks his ass. So here's the other side for you guys. What do you think about this? What happens when, which has happened, and this has happened in the Strahd game. We've talked about it. What happens when the players are listening intently and they pick up on something and they like that, but you can't shoehorn it in to, or you don't feel like shoehorning it in to the overarching storyline. My my example here was the Taraka deck reading. Going back, I would have done it a little differently. I would have narrated it a little differently because I can see how it came out looking as if each of the things was literally a reading for that character's story. Uh, not a great idea, but 
Um, it actually was a great idea. It just kind of backfired a little. Right. <laughs> In terms of the material I had, right? And for me, I didn't want to just – you can retcon easily, right? We talk about that all the time. But I didn't want to retcon it. How do you handle that? Well, and actually, in that case, you can't really retcon it because you hadn't thought of who should get what. So if you retcon it, then you wind up with, like, Phineas with the sun sword. Like, you know, I mean, it doesn't work out right if you retcon that because you didn't have the right things going to the right players anyway. So you were kind of stuck there. You can't move forward with that. Right. Well, you had a fa- I mean, you could have thrown out your best guesstimate on who was getting what at that at that point, and then you could have placed them accordingly to whoever picked what. Be like, oh yeah, the Amber Temple. Okay, well we'll put the Book of Strahd there, you know, because we was Phineas pulled that if that's how it came up. So we were kind of creating a self fulfilling prophecy, and maybe it's not the best fit. But, I mean, as far as I could see, there was only two actual weapons. One was a sun sword that was clearly linked to the knight, and the other one was a spear. And I'm playing a barbarian. That one's pretty safe. Everything <laughs> else is kind of interchangeable. Well, tell you the truth, here's an interesting thing. This is the difference between DM and player perspective. The spear is not one of the things that was prophesied in the Taraka reading at all. The only thing, you get three items in the Taraka, and then you get an ally prophesized, and you get where Strahd can be found is prophesized. And that, you know, those are the things. And the problem was, is the players heard it a certain way, which I totally understood. But then as the game kept going, and I kept trying to be like, well, you didn't quite understand it. And they're like, nope, understood it completely right. (laughs) This is where we're going. So wait, wait, so we each weren't getting an item? No. No. No, not even close. Hilarious. Here we That's go. Not... You, we, this has come up 12 times in the game, and even Tony doesn't catch it. Yeah, only that has come up <laughs> on weekly podcasts. <laughs> so this is a perfect example. So, Jared, I hope you're listening. Sometimes, ah, shit just gets fucked up. There we go. <laughs> you, you know, I am maybe, – maybe this is a way in which I am not the best DM. This might be a damn weakness. I am cold about this. If the players heard it wrong, I will stop the game and tell the players, no, that's not what I meant. Here's what I meant, motherfucker. <laughs> I will call, well, stop it, and repeat it, and I'll do it again until they get it. And maybe that's not the most collaborative DM, and you could you could say that's not my best DMing instinct, but the world's mine, and we've talked about this, the world's mine, you see, the, your characters are yours. I reserve the right to pick up or not pick up on those things as I want to, because the world is mine. And if I can't play the world that way, I'm not playing my character, essentially. I feel like um, we're going to be role-playing a flashback scene in Barovia soon. I just... Yeah. <laughs> are we, so, <laughs> I just going to redo the Taraka reading. He's going like, to redo it. <laughs> during several games, I'm like, wow, we're so far in. We've only found, like, two items. That's terrible. Crickets. But yeah, here's yeah. the thing. There were only five cards that were pulled. And we haven't even found the, the icon of the Raven kind. Oh, no, wait. No, you have not. Did it really have the feather? No. 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 no I mean, you, that's you the most guys, classic Raven have, Wolf thing. It has to be in the have game. Found two, you guys have found two of the items. Mm. Uh, you found the Sun Sword uh, literally immediately after the Rock the Raven. Like, literally. Like, oh, that was, like, that, that, was that, that was that graveyard we passed 50 feet ago. Let's it's just go back and take that back. Dave Rock in the first edition of Randomness. Right there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, 
you found the Tome of Strahd, and you have found your ally. You have talked with your ally, and he has explained how he could ally himself with you. I feel terrible that I don't remember that. That's okay. It's, That's it's, okay. it's, 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 it's um, one of the dandy guys who was in uh, The City We Blow Up. It's Van Helsing. No, no, it was not Rictavio. It was not Rictavio. No, not Rictavio. It was the other dude. Wasn't it like the Lord? The one who was framed for the vampires? No, no, Lord Roya. No, no, it's actually Sir Godfrey. The knight, the revenant knight. Oh. And he said he would ally himself with you, but he couldn't yet because he's still under the control of Vladimir Horngard. Oh, okay. So here's the thing. Here's here's why I read that wrong when we got him. Yeah. I just assumed his quest, because all the knights have a quest, I just assumed his quest was to kill Stride. I, I got you. Well, I mean, he literally stopped you guys and talked with you in the one stable about how you hunt vampires, right? So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No doubt. No doubt. But there's that, a power. That was, the, that was what I thought, because I figured that I figured that Sir Godfrey was just another one of these knights who we had to go. No, we just needed the big kill to get out. Because if you go back to the readings, it makes sense in that way. But again, it's not the most uh, it's not that's not the most import right in the end, um, nor is that you guys thought that each of them was for you necessarily, because the game has still gone on fine. Right. Yeah. And you've yeah. gone and done your things and gotten story and all this kind of stuff. So. There are times, though, where it just you you don't want to either change it or you can't you can't shoehorn it. Now, you could go your style, Thorne, and just be like, OK, game stop. That's fucking wrong. This is how it is. Right. Game off. Listen, you idiots. Get it right yeah. this time. <laughs> you can do the Wayne's World thing. Game off. Game on. Well, Tony, I, what do you think? I <laughs> guess that really depends if, you know, I think the way Dave handled this was he's like. Yeah, there should be more stuff out there for them to find. And he did it, and he ran with it, allowing it to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. And you know what it did? It made us fucking crawl around that map looking for shit. Every single and piece we of didn't, the map. And we didn't complain. We're like, we're going to find this stuff. And like we were on a mission, and we were tearing Ravenloft apart. So in that respect, it created this sense that there's stuff out there that's cool and we're missing out if we can't find it. Mm. Dave, was that intentional or is that just an impression Tony took away by accident? It was not intentional whatsoever. Uh, It is an awesome impression. I will say, though, in the same way, even if you guys, even if the Taraka reading was completely understood as it was, in a sense that there there are three items throughout this land that can help you in defeating this vampire lord, you guys still would have gone through every earth because you would have had to find them. Now, you might have been able to Sherlock Holmes it a little bit, right, and go to certain areas, but with some of that stuff, it was it was cryptic enough that you had to search it out. And not only that, you're going to want to go search shit like Babalai Saga because you're like, no way, we're going to, we need to kill her. Oh, yeah. <laughs> her, the dream cake makers. Yeah, oh my god. Like, you guys have just torn through Barovia like the Punisher. For the children. For <laughs> that's the, right. You know why? Because that's what heroes do. That's, that's right. That's what, that is exactly what drives Phineas forward. But you know, that's also because of the style of the the campaign that Dave threw out there. If we were really doing this hard, like survival hard, like Thorne does the um Cthulhu game. We might not have. We might have really investigated that, scoped them out first, been really nervous, 
instead of kicking the door in and like, you know, body slamming her through a table, which is fun and memorable. I think uh, the, the survival horror, it, I mean, it both could have been done. Both could have been done. It's just the way he, he chose to run with it. Yeah. I mean, that's absolutely true. And in, in the, the, the Curse of Strahd game has been a lot of fun because it's been played a lot of fun. It has not been a super stressful, oh, my God, Strahd's going to kill us kind of game. You're right. I do the Call of Cthulhu a little bit more like that. And I, I always try to scare the players a bit, even if, like, this last session, you guys killed the dragon I was trying to terrorize you with in, like, literally two fucking rounds. It was a little longer than two rounds, but yeah. I While just, Dave was meditating the whole I, I think, time. I think he was dead by round three. And not only that, that was with one less player doing anything, like, actively. So I totally felt your, like, frustration with that, especially since, like, just last week's episode, you were talking about, hey, man, all I'm saying is if you don't have your dragon lance at least five rounds, you're a failure. Here's the thing. You guys didn't just, so that's an 11, level 11 party. Uh, 12, level 12. True. Okay. So maybe, maybe, I, maybe I should have gone a higher CR rating. Then. I thought you were, I was thinking you guys were level 11. Even so You still, might have been when you met the dragon. Even still. Not only that, but dude, that was like, I will say, here's my, here's my two cents on that. First, through, because I decided to cast the spell that took 10 minutes, right? Because I, for players, I was attempting to bring a planar ally to assist us because we were at the, in essence, the, the dragon's lair in this undead tree and we were going to enter. And I was thinking, hey, you know what would be cool is if we had some awesome like Deva roll down and just like help us out with his super duper mace. So I'm starting to cast this spell. The dragon doesn't care for this. So he comes out of his hole again, stays super high up, and sends his pets out, which are two frog hemoths and a giant crocodile. So the tension at that point was ramped up to 11 easily, right? I'm casting the spell, and I'm like, all right, I just, I'm going to be casting this thing. So the party had to start not only protecting me, but fighting the frog hemoths and the giant crocodile and the dragon that's currently trying to spit acid down on me. So that tension level was ramped up. But then as we find so many times, once the party starts working together and ganging up a little bit and they start rolling some crazy ass sneak attacks and stuff at that level. It's dude, damage output. It's just bets, bets are off, man. I, I got, I got to tell you, I've been building my, my Strahd and, uh, and the whole time I'm like, ah, I don't know if he's powerful enough. I think I got no, I think he has to have this too. You know, like from our like previous episodes where the damage output on higher level parties past level, oh, probably I mean definitely past ten, but even past you know eighth, ninth level maybe the damage output becomes so intense it it's surprising even to yeah. us that play and run the game as often as I we mean, do. You, you guys chewed through about at least 500 hit points worth of enemies in a few rounds, taking almost no damage yourselves. Right, right. Well, and that was fair. with one of us not being actively attacking. I was not, I did not do a single act of attack the entire. Now, I made, I, I made some choices that were not tactically ideal for the dragon. I did it intentionally a little bit. But, like, the damage output made them pay so badly. Yeah. It's kind of what happened. So, Tony, what were you going to say? To, to be fair, we typically are not a tactics-heavy group 
in most of the campaigns I've played it, just to be r- really honest. But we have we have a moment where everyone, I mean, is starting starts to gel. That's when the shit hits the fan. Like well, Adelard threw off a cool move. Vic did something awesome. Bonnie followed it up, and like I was waiting with my low initiative to like you know drop a piano on him, and then you have, you were making uh, boots out of that dragon. <laughs> like what's that? You're out of legendary resistances. Ah, oh, that's, that's, that's well. That. The thing was he really wasn't because he didn't have to face any save or suck spells. They just did so much damage to him so quickly that like he eventually used one legendary resistance against like the last fireball. And then he had like seven hit points, and <laughs> the rogue in the rogue sneak attacked them for like for like fifty or something. Yeah, there was a guy, you know, ricocheting arrow in his. Yeah, yeah. I, I gotta say, I mean, we're super off topic here, but I'm just gonna I want to finish that out because how often does that happen, right? Where the dude has two hit points left, and like the paladin decides to empty like five divine smites into him. He's like, I do 150. You're like, yeah, he's dead. He's dead. So like, he's, <laughs> he's so loaded. He's so dead. The dragon's floated. <laughs> but, like, you want to give them that cool moment where they can, like, do this massive damage. Like, they don't need it, but you let them have it because, like, it's awesome. Well, it's, yeah, it is it is cool. I don't mind losing a dragon that way. But, so what I did wrong was I knew where the party was. The party was about 100 yards from the dragon's lair. So if the dragon wants to keep you from doing the spell, which felt like what the dragon would want to do, it's pretty insulting to just stop and do a ritual at his doorstep and who knows what you're going to do. <laughs> so I felt like, wow, you really tactically forced the dragon's hand. Well done. Okay, the dragon attacks. He sends these three pets out. And I'm really trying hard to make the pets take the fire while the dragon yeah. closes the distance to get on top of you guys. Yeah. And the problem was, like, the real problem was the range on the breath weapon. Now, I tried to play it by the book, which is the dragon's acid breath is a 60-foot range. And what I wish I had done, although it would have been kind of a dick move, was let him rain acid down on you from uh, from like 150 feet. Well, we did say that during game, right, where it's like, I get the range thing, but like at some point, gravity has to like some point down is play, down. right? Yeah, like. I mean, you like, could, a laser doesn't just stop, right? You like, kind of argue it either way, because you could say that the ashes loses its potency by right, interacting right, with the air. Right, right, right. Yeah, it starts to break down. There's a logic either way. But that was like, all right, I'm like, I'm doing the math on, like, his movement. I'm like, he's moving 80 per round. I want him to stop out of short bow range. But now he's not close enough to breath weapon. So he, no matter what I did, he basically had a round where he couldn't attack you guys and just had to move. And that round killed him. Like, <laughs> yeah. Because he did get one breath weapon on the party. He did a fly-by breath weapon not long before that, before the encounter started. That worked like a charm. Uh, it, nearly killed, it nearly killed a beam, I think. Yep. Like, that was perfect. That worked exactly like a charm. But you kind of need to distract the party with other things while you're dragging breath weapons up. Or gets up close and fights with them. Like, that's the other thing. I kind of wish I'd popped him on you from closer. Maybe he should have come up from under the ground instead of flying down from above. Eh. But, like, these are just such ticky-tack things. I'm like, wow, that dragon was really not up to this challenge. Okay, moving on to great worms, or whatever they call them now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe no, the adult start... dragons are, maybe we can skip the rest of these adult dragons. I don't know, <laughs> pop up with maybe an adult red at some point, maybe, with a lot of iron golems. In the Amber Temple, when Surskar, the paladin, went toe-to-toe with the Amber Golem, which was like a CR-10 monster, and he literally oh, went one-on-one with it, and I was like, 
Awesome. Cool. That's all right. I don't really know where to go with this at this point. And then like Hawk takes out the alpha uh, werewolf in a one-on-one wrestling match. And you're like, whoa, that's okay. All right. This is how it's going. I mean, just to drive home that. So basically the paladin at like level seven or something, or maybe level eight, like he wasn't level 11. He stumbled into a room with an amber golem where everyone else was in another fight. And he one-on-one did. And yeah. easily destroyed it. A CR 11 monster, like easily one-on-one destroyed this monster. And that is one of the things that kind of, well, you know, we're talking about details. How do you remember the details? Sometimes these details are hard to forget. <laughs> <laughs> That's one way to bring it back on point here. Yeah. Well, yeah. Some of them are writ large in your memory forever. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that was, uh, I got to remember the party's damage output is like, I don't know, 250 per round. Okay. Okay, noted. Very well noted. <laughs> I'm looking at Professor Dungeon Master, who whose advice from from um yeah. uh, Dungeon, Dungeon his advice is speed up combat by cutting all the monsters' hit points in half. And I'm like, really? My combats are moving awfully fast with full hit points. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, just to bring this back on point, I mean, you know, so when I actually didn't write a synopsis after that game, in part because I didn't feel good after it was done, and in part because I'm like, what? Well, you killed the dragon. What else can I say? <laughs> you kill the dragon with extreme prejudice. Next session, you're going to have to go inside that lair and find his treasure with whatever traps and other enemies. Yeah, yeah that'll be a little, that'll be uh, interesting, right? I have to explore the lair. Session. Yeah, dungeon build. Which I should have, I should have still made you go inside to deal with the dragon inside the lair. But I didn't, you know, uh, that's the sort of thing that was like, like, what do you remember detail wise about that adventure? You remember beating the dragon. You remember that you have treasure ahead of you. You remember that you didn't cast your spell. Because uh, the dragon came out to stop you, and you kind of wish you'd seen your cool Deva. But, like, I mean, like, those are pretty easy details to remember. I don't know that there's anything missing in there that isn't easy to rock just kind of with, like, just, just thinking back to what happened. I think we're looking for the original question, like, key plot lines and then offshoot branch points. I mean, sure, Dave's had some opportunities where we, the players got into something and it kind of grew out into a plot point. Uh, and, you know, we can do some pretty solid synopsis of the game in the beginning or recap uh, at the end. We can save and hold over. Um, but as far as keeping everything straight and flowing so the players are on track and, you know, like I had a moment in Star King's Thunder where we all kind of had to we kind of had to stop and go, OK, guys, seriously, this is this is why this is happening. We're reintroduced uh, the the six items. Um, yeah. I mean, I gotta tell you, I threw a lot of homebrew into the Storm King's Thunder, uh, and one of the problems there was it was already a fairly complicated plot to start with. To be to be to be really honest, like that was not a overly simple plot, but there was a lot happening. You have all these different giants doing their own thing. They're all being manipulated. They're all subservient to the new, uh, what the Titan's doing, but the, the Storm King's missing and all the, and, and uh, his wife's dead. And there was just like all these different things that um, very easily could have been confused, overlooked, shoved under the rug. Uh, and then they come up later and you're like, you're like, oh, about this. And you expect everyone to be like, of course. And they're like, crickets. Tony, that's a good point, because that was a that was a very recent one where, yeah, similar to when Thorne said he just will stop the game and say, nope, you got that wrong. But it was different with Storm Kings because Thorne, as his, both as the player and as his character, he did partly in character in a way, but also as the player said, 
what exactly are we doing again? You know, because we were trying to figure out exactly. We knew like, okay, we're going to go beat up giants, but why? Like what, what exactly is happening? Right. And he threw that out there. Are we just going out there to commit genocide? Right. Or we just, we're just going to kill the giant race because yeah. Um, And and that was the beauty of it. Because what we did, he threw that out in the email that we all had and other people were starting to kick in. This is how I'm seeing the plot. And in a way, it was almost as if the characters were kind of discussing amongst themselves, well, this is how I see it. Um, And then that allowed you, the way that I remember you kind of handling it was you kind of did a big giant synopsis of our story so far, right? Very Princess Bride style, right? Our story so far is this is what's happening. These are the main plot points where do you want to go from here? Am I am I reading that accurately? I think so. Uh, one of the problems is also when you're doing a complicated plot, you, I think you kind of touched on this a little earlier, but you really do want to consider how often you're going to play. And if you're playing monthly, then I'd roll some of the complex details back a little bit and keep it a little bit more straightforward. Then, God forbid, you miss a session. And then you're not pushing it a week. You're pushing it a month. So now you have a game that's two months apart. That's that's really, yeah. That that's then then things are starting to get the rubber's hitting the road there. So So. to bring it back to Jared's question though, like like you said, you made the Storm King's Thunder like it was already complicated, and then you wrote your own material for I think we decided ninety five percent of the campaign. Uh, Whatever the replacement number was, there was definitely (laughs) giants in that story. That's all I'm gonna tell you. (laughs) And there was a Storm King. There was a storm king. Like, how did you keep your story straight with uh, what was in the book? Uh, with that, I had to kind of – once I realized there was a problem, like, oh, like, everybody's got this, everybody's got this, and then I realized they didn't. I'm like, okay. Now I need to make a much more focused effort to make sure that we're all – together on the same page because i was doing all kinds of crazy shit i let you find that tome which let everybody train and you know there were some modules that honest to god were kind of very side quest-esque because you know in reaction to what happened you know and that one you know part where i said hey use your new powers to hide you didn't hide well it launched into another mod another whole one-shot adventure in that town uh where all hell broke loose because you were discovered and the kraken moved his minions against you. Um, But in those situations, the more complicated a story, the more effort the DM needs to do to maintain. I guess that's my my point on that. So did you ever have a hard time keeping your side straight, though? Like, I mean, because this is all about how did you keep us straight? And I mean, our and, and kind of from our point of view, from my point of view, it was like, okay, I know there's these other items out here, but are we just trying to get the items? Why don't we just jump to the end? Which was kind of what we got into and why you can or can't do that. But did you ever have a hard time keeping that straight? Did you just have it all written down so you remembered it all? Or did it all kind of stay pretty fresh in your mind? The the only problem that you run into with your complicated plot is if a situation arises where someone throws out a question or you realize a point where things don't hold water anymore. Mm-hmm. That's a problem. Like, I can remember the details and the steps and everything. But then someone's like, well, you know, well, what about the cloud giants and their lord? Because they wouldn't go along with that. And you're like, Ugh. right, all right. Well, these cloud giants are a little more evil than what you think they are. You know, you're no expert on cloud giants, son. These ones these ones are bloodthirsty. Yeah. They're coming to get you. Well, there's a 50-50 split on them, you know. Like it, <laughs> but that's 
that's the kind of stuff that makes things dicey in terms of a complicated plot because the more complicated a plot, if you it's kind of like coding. If you write an incredibly complicated program and something tanks, you have to go through all the lines and find out which line is where the problem is versus something that's much more straightforward. And you're like, okay, everyone's completely on the same page versus some people are missing some of the details, but everyone's flowing with it versus the guys have most of it or they're here I will for say, chips. I will say too, on top of that, Tom, because we've said this before, uh, and we used uh, some of the some movies as examples in that if the game is going really well and the action is there and the role-playing and, and all of that during the sessions, some of the, the George Lucas moments start to matter less. Like, they might matter if they go back in time and try to put all of it together, but within the game itself, in actual game time, if it's holding water there and it has continuity, that's really all that matters, right? I mean, it, you know, no one's going back. I mean... You can always go back to some old campaign and be like, oh, I wonder how that actually worked. And if I could find like, cool, you found the loophole. I don't know. You want to play it again? I mean, I could I could run it again if you want, you know, I mean, and that's kind of that's a really good point, because the campaign is always moving forward. So like yeah. potholes are kind of potholes are just like potholes. You know, they're not something that derails the campaign necessarily because you're always moving forward to the next thing. So as long as you know what's happening next and why, why is really important, I think, for remembering everything. Like, I really focus on why is this happening. As long as I can remember the why, the rest kind of just all makes sense because that's how I think that would play out. Mm. So as long as you can remember the why, potholes, you know, if they're noticed at all, they're just bumps in the road. They're just potholes. You know, they're just they're, they're not a potholes or potholes. They're not. I love that. that. I love know, it. TM uh, trademark. Potholes or potholes, that's it. Love when it. When you have players ask a question like like what Tony's talking about, then it's kind of just a matter of spitting. And when I say spit, I mean come up with from the top of your head and just say and just commit to a reason. Like Maybe. so, in that situation, I just would you know you just create a why. Uh, one of the things that was interesting about the Storm King's Thunder one was we had a hard time getting to a why because Tony was like trying to was trying to make uh, was trying to leave the why to us. And we were like, well, and I was like, my character was like, well, okay, let's just cut to the chase and go see the go see the king, because you know he he just figured he could just go do it, you know. So it's like if you just fill in a why and you give players a why, they'll usually go with it. Funny, in the core module, you absolutely could go just see see the king. You defeat yeah. one of the giant lords, you can find the conch shell, you blow it, just like you know, Link <laughs> Zelda style, you go right to there, and you're next thing you know, you're in the uh, maelstrom, but. Uh, plot holes have different forms. Of course, they're being like I use coding, where you have to bulletproof your code to make sure that it's solid all the way through, at least to the best of your ability. But even good stories can have parts of it that are kind of dead and not necessary. Like I, I rewatched um, Captain Marvel again. Uh, we're going through all the the, the uh, movies, uh, the Marvel movies to catch her up. And uh, honestly. Uh, the first 15 movies, and I, I love that movie. The first 15 minutes, I'm like, like, uh, like, I'm like, what the f is going on here? Why? Why? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like they're on this planet, they're over here, they're in a group, they're doing this yeah. stuff, and like, if you're watching with someone who's a very casual fan, she's like, um, this was like so unnecessary. And once we got past that, like, yeah, okay, this is a really good movie. She liked the character. You know, we got to Earth, you know, Samuel L. Jackson's there. It's all flowing. But before that, it was a rough takeoff. It's kind of funny because that's all there to set up the villain showdown in the end for Captain Marvel. But yeah. you're right. It's not really worth it. The villain's not really that much worth it. 
I mean, is Jude Law really any better than Steppenwolf from uh, DC's Justice League? Not really. He's a better oh, actor. Which Steppenwolf? Are we talking about Zack Snyder's Steppenwolf or the original I'm talking about. I'm talking about the first one. Although Zack Snyder's was still kind of iffy. It was a better was, movie. It was, it was he just looked cool. more scary. His armor was super cool. Yes. <laughs> the armor made up for a lot of dialogue problems. <laughs> <laughs> so remember that, people. Armor makes up for monologues a lot of times. So, But you really got to describe that well, fucking armor. The rule of cool applies to the DM, too. The cooler yeah. stuff is, the less the players worry about what didn't make sense here, what didn't make sense there. Who has time for details when it looks that cool? Well, yeah. I mean, did any of us even bat an eyelash that uh, for our two um, Christmas games that the Woodstock Wanderers went to sleep? I think Did we go to sleep and wake up in literally the North Pole? Was it a, like almost a dream sequence? That's how yours happened, I think. Um, mine, mine. you guys walked over. You all fell asleep, but then you walked over into the standing stones and you were transported out into Christmas land. But right, with right. the Woodstock, we literally were just like, we just showed up at the North Pole and we were all like, cool. Where, what yeah. are we doing? Where is Santa? Well, and the truth is you want a group that's like that. Yeah. If you're going to have a Christmas game and someone's going to bitch about how do we get here, why do you want to play with that person? Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Thor drops the gauntlet right there. Like, why do I want you at my table? What do you mean, how do we get to Christmas land, heathen? Honestly, honestly, in person, I would be more sympathetic than that. I'd want to hear it. But, like, get on board. Like, this is a cool Christmas game. Get on board. We're going. This, this train's leaving. Why? Yeah. Why? Because Santa said you have to. Well, now, and now that is a little different than, in essence, what we're talking about overall, which is, yeah. you know, overarching story making sense. But... There, there is a level of that as well, is that each session is building on the next one. But Thorin, like you said, we're always moving forward. We're not necessarily going backward because the players are going to tell you what's important to them overall, if you're listening. And you can always change things down the road, even if you have to retcon it. Like, it's not going to break the bank. I remember uh, in the Strahd campaign, initially, Baba Lysaga rides around in a hill giant skull. That's how it's described. Really? And I and I had said that. I had kind of described it as that. And then I was listening to some stuff, and somebody came up with the idea. It was Lunch Break Heroes again. I'm just going to keep shouting out that dude. Uh, but he was like, make it Argonvoss Skull. And I was like, holy shit, that's so much cooler. <laughs> now it's a dragon skull. And you guys even, I think, Thorne, you actually had said, like, wait a second. I thought it was a hill giant. I was like, no, it was a dragon and you're like, okay. <laughs> and like, it didn't matter, right? Because it just kept going. And then you guys, you know, okay, well, we need to powerbomb this bitch. Like, it's no whatever. one is more aware of the flaws of my memory than I have. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> did I, am I sure I remember that correctly? No. I will never sit there and say, I remember. I couldn't be wrong. We hallucinate all the time. That's what, what are you talking about? No, you don't remember anything. <laughs> this was never like that. This is our first session ever. What are you talking about? You must have dreamed the other sessions. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Would it shock me? No. No, yeah. it would not. But, yeah, even if you have to retcon something, it doesn't break the bank, necessarily. If, uh, like Thorne says, even if you can, you just need to say why. Like, have it make some internal sense for verisimilitude. But outside of that, it can be a gigantic hole. It doesn't matter. You just have to drive your campaign through it. That's all. If you're good at anything, more important than notes is being able to improv a why. Yeah. You can ad-lib the whys. You don't need notes. 
So one thing uh, that I am kind of coming up with here as we're talking and I'm reading Jared's letter, it does sound like we all have a pretty easy time remembering what we were going to do in the game. Names might be a problem, specifically what shop did they go to, you might not remember maybe. But I feel like I don't have a hell of a hard time remembering what's going on in the world and why and how and what the players are trying to do and what the enemies are trying to do. That kind of lives in my head. I mean, do you guys find that? Like, you just, is that hard to remember for you or do you keep your threads pretty, pretty easily? It depends on also the structure of your session. Mm-hmm. So if we're going to run a uh, Roll20 session where we're going to open with maybe some shopping, some travel, a minor battle, and then we get to like a serious battle and that's the game, then yeah, I- I'm grooving. Some of my Storm King's Thunders games were like eight hours long. Like they were <laughs> preposterous. I don't understand how anybody didn't cut me off and be like, guys, we like we need to like take a half an hour break and walk around the block <laughs> or something. I so, do remember feeling a little bit like, okay, yeah, this is great, except for who six hours might be my limit now. I'm feeling a little old, guys. <laughs> I'm getting role playing tired here. Point is then you're covering a lot of ground. Yeah, true, true. And to properly if you're a story drive if you're running a story driven campaign, the problem there is I'm filling that with all this information that maybe in some parts was too much for everybody to pick up, absorb, and actually utilize. But did you you have a hard time remembering it? Or do you feel like it was all pretty... Because even that statement, I mean, the fact that's you, you didn't really kind of grasp that, like the players weren't following it, makes it sound like for you it felt pretty easy. Like, were were you having a hard time keeping track? It doesn't sound like you were. I feel like the the problem the players had with the story was when they got to a port was, was a problem that a lot of players have. You know, when they have a player character moment, it was with versus motivation, where it's like, am I motivated to go and explore around and collect all these items before we go to the Maelstrom? Or we're going to go to there and just lay it out right now. And that that is where and there was a plot reason why everyone was supposed to go out there and collect everything first. But, you know, it's like in the Cthulhu game. My character would absolutely not continue to investigate. I see this after the second game. I mean, this poor guy. <laughs> he's he's got, obsessed now. He can't let it go. He can't stop buying guns. Yeah, because he's got like all kinds of neurosis and he has all kinds of problems because he's seen <laughs> flying knives, zombies. And then the last game we played in was really like just effort. Like that was like with the one zombie where its head was all shriveled up and his eyes were burned and melted. No, thanks. I'm out. Game we got to get back to. We got to get Check back. Please. To. Check, please. There's several more fun things to do in that scenario. But yeah, it, it sounds almost like though, it's telling you, it sounds like the problem we had in the Storm King's Thunder game almost sounds like you remembered it so well. Yeah. That you couldn't like that. That's you. The players not remembering it didn't make sense. And honestly, I've been in that spot before. Exactly. Too. Exactly. I've had several times in Woodstock Wanderer, I would be like, guys, here's what's happening. Because I do remember it really it well. The players maybe don't remember it as well. And that's on me to communicate it better. But, like, I don't have a hard time pulling up the important details. Like, yeah, yeah. what about you, Dave? Do you, have any, do you find that, too? No, you're saying it exactly right. Tony can remember everything because he's so lore-heavy with his stuff. Yeah. Uh, he can keep it all. It's The biggest problem is not remembering his his narrative and keeping the story straight it's making sure everyone else is following this deep deep lore in the world same way with me i mean i'm 
I'm thinking about the next game and the next game. And that is that entails me remembering what has been happening through the rest of the game. Now, does that mean every single little thing that's happened in each game? No, no. And you can't think like that. But the large parts, the big broad strokes of the world, the major players, the people that they have decided to make major players, their motivations, their objectives, those are the things that you need to remember. Not that uh, the, the description of the person that was sitting at the bar you know, because you were trying to create a level of of immersion in the world or something, you have to remember the guy behind the bar that they want to go talk to. You know, you have to go, to, you know, remember Dernan, the barkeep or something, you know, not, like, you know, the, the third person feel, they just talked to. Like, I don't feel like I could go through and recap every session we've had, but I feel like I could easily go through and give a synopsis of the campaign world what's happening, what the players walked into and what the players have engaged and what they've done about it and what's been happening around them and why. Yeah. Like that stuff is in my head. That lives in my head. Um, if, like and I'm, I've, I've got the next, like the next things that happen are growing out of it in my head. And maybe, and I kind of feel bad saying that because, you know, you need to keep the notes you need to keep to remember what you're, what you're doing. I will say names don't live in my head. I know that I was a history major and I know that from being a history major. I was taught use the books to remember names and dates. Remember the big, remember remember the big threads. Mm. Build your model of history and your names and dates you can get just through your notes or through books. And I kind of take that same approach to DMing. I remember what, why, how, when, how it all fits together. The one thing that becomes a problem is the names of individual, especially individual human and humanoid NPCs. So long as I write those down in a quick synopsis of who that person was and what they did after the game, I don't feel like I have a huge problem remembering things. I don't feel like I've been caught out very often either. You guys, please let me know if I have, if you remember one where I have. It's just kind of like it's just growing organically in my head. Yeah. But, but all those things necessarily aren't the story. Those are details. Maybe the player, you know, be like, hey, who is that sage I talked to? two games ago and you're like, I'm not really sure. And they're like, gotcha. Well, <laughs> I, I mean, maybe, but I think everyone has the story. I think we just, we just hold it together in different ways, uh, yeah. organize it and let it flow. We have different tools to re- have the players revisit them and we revisit at the end of the sessions. And yeah, I think it living in your head is a really good way to put it because it is an organic growing, moving forward kind of story. Like a psychosis. Right? <laughs> like my various levels of madness. How many what, names you know. have I forgotten of real world people and dates and birthdays because I have all these D&D campaigns running in my head? But you remember Count Ruffleguy. I Was he in hard the Hard to get his name. Honestly, Count Ruffleguy, that's hard. That's a hard name to forget. I think he was at um, the Treaty of Versailles. I'm not sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right? Came in Louis XIV. Yeah, I wanted to give him a real flamboyant French douchey sounding name i wanted him to be like it was a, yeah he and he was super douchey so like, yeah you like, I, I, I wanted a cardinal richlou kind of name and and honestly that's just behind the scenes a little bit because that's i mean three musketeers is cardinal richlou and they have um the uh what the the the, the count um roquefort i think uh yeah it might not be exactly the name but that's kind of where i got not it. count rogan it, no what is what is the name oh of the count rogan yeah from <laughs> 
But I mean, so like other than names, though, like I'm pretty decent at remembering those things. It is definitely worth writing down. I try to write down kind of the little things like when you're engaging with the with the with the uh, with the counts and the dukes and what are they doing? Because they're smaller players. So like if I were to remember why you're the lords, the wardens of the east, that I write down because that's like important to the players and not as important to the big story. So, like, that's a new thing that actually grew out of something the players wanted. So you talk about how do you hang on to what the players wanted and grow that out. I knew the players wanted a lair. I knew some of the players would love to build a castle. I thought some of the players would enjoy getting some name recognition at about ninth level. I popped that in as something that is all player reward and also extra side quests because the players wanted to do more side questy stuff before getting back to the main plot, except for the one player who keeps forgetting that they decided to do that every new session. <laughs> you're still a very good player i'm just i'm just you know <laughs> we're all trying to kind of yeah trying to it's like everyone's like no 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 we, we we're a little bored with the storyline we do all the stuff okay i'm giving you other stuff and now every session it's like i want to get back to the storyline you didn't you chose not to remembering those things i have to I, I mean that's what the synopsis are for they keep they make sure i remember those things yeah um but otherwise i feel like the big stuff you remember pretty easy so you know, I guess that, that'd be my advice, you know, really try to keep your story in your head and understand your whys and what's going on and, and that stuff. Take your notes immediately after the session for what were the names you used, who were, what were they doing, what did the players do with them, why might the players care about them tomorrow, and move on from there, you know. I For me, I really like the, I have found the writing a quick synopsis of the game, two to three paragraphs for the players to read, really helps them remember those details. Because I come back and I read that before the next game too. All right, guys, we've been talking about this for a while. Are you ready for uh, some final thoughts? Indeed. Sure. I think keeping uh, the story straight shouldn't be as hard as trying to keep the players' treasure and item sheets together. <laughs> because really, honest to God, like if we had to do an audit and like I'm like, all right, all of our lives depend on this. The campaign world will literally implode. It will black hole itself. I need two players to agree on what our gold piece total is. I'm like, just we're just done. <laughs> I don't even bother looking. <laughs> I try That's to. Fair. I think some of the things that I've learned, especially over my roll twenty time, is that depending upon how often you're meeting determines how thick the plot should be. Respect tolerance. Some rooms really love that deep, thick story, and some players want to show up fight some orcs, maybe a weird monster you pulled out of the other arcana, get some treasure and move on. They like that lighter kind of RPG feel. So know what you're looking at, the room, how it relates to your story, and that'll make uh, the details uh, easier to flow and the ones you do throw out there are more meaningful. Um, I go back to uh, my session prep. Um, my notes that I do per session, uh, I keep all of them and I print them out as I'm going. And I am making notes if I need to on the sheet, whether it's a person that I don't have named that I just named, whether it's something that the players have notated that they want or that they are looking for or that they have agreed to. Like I use the idea in the with the Frostman campaign of those favors that are used. It's sometimes surprising what players lock on to. I go back to. Uh, Curse of Strahd with Baby Walter with the Tarak deck reading and one both of those turned out fine in the end one was a great happy accident where Baby Walter turned into this thing that I could keep using as an adventure hook for one player in particular uh, for 23 sessions now uh, the Taraka deck it's what it is 
They read it in a different way. It did not stop the campaign. It didn't make the, the, the adventure, I think, any less enjoyable than it would have been otherwise. And in the worst times, retcon it. As Thorne had said, I love the plot holes or, or potholes. The story keeps moving forward. And if you have a plot hole, just make sure it's big enough that you can drive your campaign through it. You know, I mean, that's all that really small matters. Enough, small enough that you can drive your campaign over it. How long oh, is that stuck in a pothole? With your tire. One of the Look, two. we're from Philly. We got some big potholes. You don't want to drive into something your car can't get out of. But <laughs> potholes probably aren't that big. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, um, you know, for me, it's like a... You know, being the improv DM, the the problem of having of remembering what we did last session is probably biggest for me. And the real trick I found is just, you know, write down some notes. And I do them, like I said, as a synopsis for the players immediately after the session. That locks it in. And then I go back and read that, too. And we all have the same point to remember. From a bigger point of view, I guess what I'm really getting at is I try to control the narrative. So I have less trouble with players pulling out little details that maybe they think I should remember. And I'm controlling or influencing is a better word because god knows you can't really control players but i'm influencing what they remember to the best of my ability to try to keep it on the direction i want to go on in that way i have less variables to deal with so i can just deal with the variables at the table in the game we're currently in and i don't have to worry about the variables of how we each remember the last game differently because i'm trying to take steps in between to make sure we all remember it the same way um, those are the big things for me, you know, and then, yeah, like they've said, and like, like I said earlier, you know, don't worry too much about plot holes, you know, plot holes are potholes and just, you know, make up some paving that goes over them to get through, the, to, to, to just, just, just fill them in as you go and just be like, oh yeah, that's why this was and move forward and keep it moving forward. And that's the big thing you don't want to spend a lot of time dealing with stuff that happened sessions ago, unless it's part of your plot, but it's probably not like you don't want to spend a lot of time on the, well, Hey, what about that? Just come up with an answer and move forward, you know, get, get, get them where you want them, hang up the phone on that and keep moving forward into the part of the campaign you want to be doing. To me, that's the biggest thing. It's less about, you want to remember your details, but if you're getting caught out by a lot of details, I think Tony said this earlier, if there's too many details that you're not remembering, well, maybe it's too complicated. Maybe there's too many details. Consider that because you want to keep your campaign. Like all three of us said, our campaigns live in our head. We don't have a hard time remembering the, the, the important stuff. If you're having a hard time remembering that, simplify. Bring it down to something you can remember because at the end of the day, you need to tell the story and control the story. So if you're losing, if you're not remembering your own story, simplify it. Bring it back down a little bit. Make it something you can hold on to in your head because if you can hold it in your head, you're going to have a better time improving, coming up with what happens next, and coming up with good, logical, why-driven actions that are going to happen. So I think those are the big things, you know. Quick notes after the session for the stuff you really should remember, like names. You know, don't worry too much about what you don't remember to keep things moving forward. And if it's getting out of control and you're not remembering it, simplify it. Cut stuff off. That's it for me. Those, those, are, those, are, those are my big final thoughts and I guess the big three, my big three uh, <laughs> tips for remembering what you're doing, even when you improv like me and you don't know what's going to happen to come in session to session. Although, of course, we've also talked about some of the tricks we I use, so I do know what's going to happen session to session, even if I'm not planning it. Like, you get the players to decide what's going to happen, what they're going to do next session at the end of the previous session, so you can prep a little bit. There you go. That's all, all these tricks. All these little things you don't even realize you do to keep your campaign running, you know? Like, that's, that's one of the things I noticed from this. There's a lot of things we do instinctively that you don't even think about. Yeah. 
And, you know, like you're, if you have a, a plot hole that's like a pothole and you want to do some paving and you don't have like asphalt and stuff, you could just do like the, the BP oil spill thing and just shoot garbage at it, you know, <laughs> to try to plug it up. So, yeah, anything works, guys. Forget burning it off. Yeah, and that was literally like engineers thinking that shit up. So like, just shoot garbage at your potholes, and it'll it'll fill it up. I think I prefer gravel. The other old fashioned solution for potholes is fill it with some gravel. There's so, lots so, of so, ways. so some little stuff you can move forward with. Tar it over if you have the tar. A lot of ways. A lot of ways you can go. You know, just crumple up some newspaper and chuck it into there. You know. That's it. Guys, I had a good time talking about this. It's interesting. We get this inside look at how we all do these things and how we all manage our manage our campaigns that as players in each other's games, we don't usually see. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you to everyone listening at home. We really appreciate your support. This session, this podcast topic did come to us from a reader asking us a question or a listener asking us a question. So if you have something you'd like to hear us cover, please send it into our email at threewisedms at gmail.com. Or go to threewisedms.com and enter it in the What's Your Problem field. Or you can talk to us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're very active in all those places, and we take questions there as well. So if there's anything you'd like to hear us cover, we would love to hear it. We do a lot of reader questions, and we get some of our best material that way. And you get into this stuff where we didn't even know what our answers were going to be when we came in here. And I think you get some interesting insights. If you like what you're hearing, please give us a five-star rating in the uh, whatever platform, podcast platform you're listening in, or leave us a review if you want to. Tell your friends. We really appreciate that support. All that stuff has been helping us grow by leaps and bounds, and we really appreciate it. Thank you very much. That's it for this week. We'll see you next time with Three Wise DMs. Mm-hmm.